Well, we told you last week uh, we were in Indianapolis just, I uh, guess, about a week and a half ago for our North American Youth Congress, and what a privilege and what a pleasure it was to have literally tens of thousands of young people feel up that big old football stadium and worship God. Amen. One of the featured speakers was Brother Victor Jackson, who is with us today, and uh, he shared a powerful message with all of those students, told a little bit of his own testimony. Brother Jackson was on his way to the NBA as the number one point guard in all of junior college. Most of his buddies from college are all playing professional basketball. But he got saved in college. And God turned his life around. Amen. And I'm going to tell you something. You don't ever give up anything for God, but that God's not going to give it back to you. More abundance. Somebody posted on social media, said Brother Jackson was headed to the basketball stadiums of America, but God put him in the football stadium of America and gave him the gospel of Jesus Christ to preach to this generation. We're delighted he's with us. Would you welcome Brother Victor Jackson to the First Pentecostal Church? Oh, why don't you clap your hands to Jesus one more time? For those of you that love him, why don't you clap your hands a little louder? If you're crazy in love with them, why don't you clap your hands, all ye people, and somebody shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph and hallelujah, Jesus. Praise be the name of the Lord. It is such an honor and such a privilege to be here to worship with each and every one of you. I so appreciate your pastor, Pastor Myers, and his wife, Sister Amy, and their wonderful family, and always the great kindness and hospitality uh, that is distributed to me and my family. I'm so thankful for your bishop, Bishop Myers, and his wife, Dr. Myers, and just what a wonderful family that God has uh, blessed to be able to lead this church. Aren't you thankful for apostolic leadership? Amen. Amen. And uh, normally my wife and my son travel with me like 90% of the time. And uh, uh, I was strategically have times where she gets to rest. You know, right before Congress, we were in 24 services in 14 days. And so, you know, we were like drunk on the Holy Ghost, you know. And uh, so uh, this was just a perfect week for her to rest with my in-laws. And uh, she made sure to get all my clothes right. Amen. Because whenever I, uh, one of the first times, that, like for a month last year, I couldn't travel with my wife because she was recovering uh, from having my son. And so I'm traveling by myself, and man, I only made it by the grace of God. Amen. <laughs> I'd show up to the pulpit with my shirt untucked, missing belt loops, got the wrong preaching tie, got the wrong shirt, got the, I'm wrinkled all over. Amen. I was like, I looked like I was homeless. Amen. I, said, I had to tell him, no, I can explain this. My, my wife just had a child. Amen. Everything's okay, amen. But, uh, but she's got me in order here this morning. 
Why don't we open up our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. I always enjoy uh, being here with you guys. I appreciate so much your sincerity and your response to the Lord. Appreciate uh, Brother Richie and Brother Kevin and the wonderful youth group had the privilege of speaking to. God is doing great things in this church. It's a blessing to be here. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, and verse 1. I'm going to be reading a couple of scriptures. Have it say, Amen. Amen. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Let's go on to verse 19. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. Last scripture. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. I want to preach on this subject this morning, the divine link between Nazareth and Bethlehem. The divine link between Nazareth and Bethlehem. Why don't you lay your Bibles down? Everyone close your eyes and lift up your hands. And let's ask the Lord to bless his word here and to bless you. Jesus, we need your spirit. We need your anointing. There are needs in this house. Touch your precious people, minister to needs like only you can. Change lives, God. Impact them by your power. Draw them like only you can, God. You are the vine and we are the branches, Lord. We ask for a demonstration of your power in their lives where they, they may never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you clap your hands one more time? Ah. My Lord, look at the person next to you and tell them there is a link between Nazareth and Bethlehem. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. As I have studied the scriptures thoroughly. I've come to the conclusion that faith 
gives us access to God. Anybody believe that? Faith gives us access to God, but that is not God's only access to you. Let me say that again. Praise the Lord. Faith gives you access to Him. But that is not His only access to you. He said, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you and I ordained you to be a prophet. In other words, before you ever took your first breath, I was already working on you before you ever even got here. Before you ever even confessed his name, before your feet ever touched the earth, God was behind the scenes working on you and your personality, putting traits, DNA structure together before you ever even confessed his name. And many of you can testify that you were an atheist, but somehow God was protecting you from car to give you the opportunity to be in the house of God, to experience him. Can anybody testify to that? You blaspheme God, but he prevented you from overdosing on drugs. He stopped you. Come on, somebody. He kept you before you ever even believed. Amen. This gives us a glimpse into the transcendent nature of God. God that transcends time. A God that transcends finite man thinking. Man could never figure out God unless God allowed himself to be figured out. Everything you know about God is because he wanted you to know. If he wanted to hide himself, he could. Right. <laughs> well, if he wanted to hold something back, he could. If he wants to reveal it to you, he will. And this is what has theologians baffled because we understand that God inspired Moses to write the book of Genesis. But theologians and scholars are struggling because, because of the complexity of Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. They believe that there had to be several writers that wrote the book of Genesis. It's such a complex book. Even in the first four chapters, they're so tough for them to grasp. They say it has to be several different writers that wrote. And they say that because in Genesis 1, whenever God is mentioned, he's mentioned by the Hebrew word Elohim. And Elohim speaks to the transcendent nature of God. It speaks to an abstract God, a God that does not need man, 
a God that speaks the world into existence without a man's faith to help him create anything. A God that speaks into nothing and makes everything. A God that forms things as only he can by the power of his spoken word. God is mentioned over 30 times in Genesis chapter 1. Can I tell you God is the main character of the Bible, not man. But when man gets in relationship with God, that's what brings man on the scene. Man isn't even mentioned five times in Genesis 1. It was us giving, getting an introduction into the transcendent nature of God. And the power of this is incredible. But theologians are baffled and struggling when they consider that Genesis 1 is different from Genesis 2. Because Genesis 2, whenever God is mentioned, he's not mentioned as the Hebrew word Elohim. He's mentioned as the Hebrew word Yahweh. And Yahweh denotes personal relationship with man. God is speaking of himself in Genesis 2 as if he is a man using anthropomorphisms ways that man can understand him God said God saw God's right hand God doesn't have a physical right hand God is a spirit but he uses man's language to get you to understand him so you can tap into his transcendence so what you've got to understand is that God has to humble himself to speak to you My Lord, help me. Amen. That's to humble himself because you cannot understand him in his transcendent nature. Transcendent God. It's unreal to think about. And in Matthew, it says that Jesus was Emmanuel. God with us. When it says God, they're not talking about Yahweh. They said Jesus was Elohim with us. Only God can put transcendence in a body. Can't even comprehend transcendence. And God says, I'm big enough to put all of me in a body. That's why when they looked at Jesus, they said, like, you, you, you can't be God, you're a man. And Jesus was like, I know, that's what's crazy. <laughs> the fullness of God was in the man Christ Jesus. This creator, don't worry, I'm going somewhere. Just give me some time, praise the Lord. I'm just... Building a case, hallelujah. <laughs> this transcendent God, he was not content to dwell in the abstract, in the heavens, away from man, far from man. He, 
He sent prophets to bridge the gap to man. He sent Jeremiah, but Jeremiah couldn't do it. He sent Isaiah. Isaiah couldn't bridge the gap. Man was exceeding sinful. He sent Nahum. He sent Obadiah. He sent Zephaniah. He sent Zechariah. He sent Jonah. He sent Ezekiel. He sent all of these great prophets to bridge the gap to man. And no prophet could do it. So God, he said, you know what? I'm just going to leave all of the splendor in the heavens. I'm going to leave these streets of gold, the walls of Jasper, the pearly gates, and I'm going to humble myself, and I will come in the flesh and be born of the Virgin Mary. And the Bible says that when Jesus was born, hear me, he was not welcome with a palace, although he was a king. He was not welcome with servants, although he deserved it. He was not welcome to the sound of clapping and the sound of dancing. No, this transcendent God was born in a dirty manger uh, to the sound of sheep's bleeding uh, to the sounds of cows to the sounds uh, of all of those things that a king does not deserve uh, and when he's born the Bible says that he was born in Bethlehem uh, he was born in Bethlehem in Bethlehem uh, it was that ancient city uh, it was that city where there was a royal lineage uh, it was the city where it had the royal lineage of David it was the city where kings came out of it. It was a city where Boaz and Ruth came together. It was the city where the matriarchs were buried. And Jesus was born in that royal city. But you never hear one time in the scripture anyone calling Jesus, Jesus the Bethlehemite. Never heard anybody ever say, in the name of Jesus the Bethlehemite. Y'all look at him crazy. Don't you know it's Jesus of Nazareth? And the Bible says that the prophets prophesied in the Old Testament that he would be called a Nazarene. You cannot find one Old Testament scripture that says that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. Not one. Let's settle for a second. There's not one scripture in the Old Testament where the prophets said that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. But the prophets did prophesy that the Messiah would be rejected. And Nazareth during the time of Jesus' day, it was synonymous with that word rejection. It was synonymous where if you were from Nazareth, you were a nobody. You were, it had Gentile influence. It was by major trade routes. Everyone looked down on Nazareth even Nathaniel who was from the despised Cana of Galilee when he heard that Jesus was from Nazareth he said can there be any good thing that comes out of Nazareth nothing happens there it is a rejected place and what Jesus wanted you and I to understand is that I did not come to earth to identify with my royalty I came to identify 
identify with the rejected. I came to identify with the broken. I came to identify with the hurting, with the wounded, with the bruised, with the struggling, with those that... Had every right to identify as a Bethlehemite. But he said, I don't want to identify with my royalty. I want you to call me Jesus of Nazareth. I want to symbolize with that rejected city. I want you to call me a Nazarene. I know that I'm transcendent and I know that I deserve a palace. But I want to relate to those that are hurting, that are battered, that are bruised. And I know nobody thinks anything good can come out of Nazareth. But when God gets in Nazareth, oh my Lord help me. When God gets into a situation, he knows how to turn something bad and bring it into something good. Oh, somebody clap your hands to the Lord. It was in Nazareth, those that were raised in a single-parent household. It was in Nazareth, those that were raised without a father. It was in Nazareth, those that were victims of domestic violence. It was in Nazareth, those that were molested and never told anybody about it. It was in Nazareth, those that were raped by someone close to them. It was in Nazareth, those that always struggled with self-esteem, that were born in dysfunctional families. They told them they'd never be nothing huh? and they'd never amount to anything. Huh? It was in Nazareth those that were victims huh? of verbal abuse huh? and that were struggling just to hold on huh? to their sanity, huh? just to hold on to their identity. Huh? It's in Nazareth anytime they go home huh? and try to testify huh? about the goodness of the Lord in them. Huh? Family doesn't want to hear about it. Huh? They always want to plug their ears into what bad happened to you but they never want to hear about any testimonies even when Jesus went back to Nazareth God fully God and fully man the Nazarenes they didn't want to hear what he had to say about the scriptures and Jesus couldn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief you go home and try to testify of what happened to you on a Sunday morning and what happened to you on a Sunday night huh? and they don't want to hear about it huh? but the minute that your world's about to fall apart huh? they're all ears huh? because those Nazarenes like to hear huh? all the trouble huh? that you've been in huh? but I thank God huh? that God is big enough huh? to come down into Nazareth huh? and Can I preach to you? I was raised in Nazareth. I was raised in an abusive household. I had a stepdad that used to beat the daylights out of me every day. He was a military man. I'd wake up in the morning, couldn't do nothing right. Punch me to the face. I'd go to school with bruises all over my body. Busted lips, having to lie to the teacher. What happened to you? I lie. They say, oh, I tripped and fell. 
It was a stepdad that told me you're nothing. I wish you were never born. You'll never become anything. But I thank God that God was big enough to come down into Nazareth and bring something beautiful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was in Nazareth. I didn't know anything about church. But my mom told me because of the battle, because of the incredible trauma I endured, I could not speak intelligibly until I was five years old. My mom had to send me to a speech therapist at five years old to teach me how to talk because because of the trauma that I endured, I could not form words and I could not form sentences. There was a fear on the inside of me to even speak. But my mom said, but at three years old Victor, you be on your grandma's porch and the only word we understood that you said is you pick up a stick off of the ground and you get on your grandma's porch, you put that stick to your mouth and you start saying Jesus, Jesus Jesus I didn't even know God yet but God was reaching for me because he knew It's in Nazareth that women will try to fill the void with relationships because they had a father that never invested in them. They go from one failed relationship to another failed relationship and they wonder what's wrong with me. None of my relationships last. Let me tell you what the problem is. It's because you're looking for people that are just like your dad and your dad abandoned you and your relationships are abandoning you and none of those things will be able to fill the void there are millionaires to this day that are that are fueled for success to try to prove a dad that wrong that never loved them to try to show a dad I can't believe you left me and I'm going to make as much money as I got to make to show you that I'm valuable and to show you that I am a success and even after making billions and billions of dollars uh, and their debt being dead for over a decade every morning they wake up with bitterness in their heart uh, and say I'm going to be a workaholic and make as much money as I got to make to prove the world that I'm somebody fill the void with everything you can your whole life they told you you'd never be anything. 
Try to make as much money. Try to get as many accolades. Try to get somebody that loves you. Come on, I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. Try to find somebody to care for you. Because you had a mom that was rude to you all the time. You had a dad that never cared for you. And all of a sudden, all it's the world is waiting on you to become a statistic. Nathaniel said, can there be any good thing that comes out of Nazareth? Can there be any good thing that comes out of that broken home? Can there be any good thing that comes out of those divorced parents? Can there be any good thing that comes out of that incredible, terrible place? And I love what Philip said. Philip just said, come and see. Let me show you a man that has the power to reach into Nazareth and turn everything around. And what the devil meant for evil, God has the power to turn around for good. I come to preach to somebody from Nazareth here to come and see a man that can reach into your situation. To Nazareth where you are traumatized by what happened in your home. It's getting thick here this morning. Where you're traumatized by what happened in your home. The Israelites, they were delivered from Egypt after 430 years. And they were delivered out of Egypt in one day. But after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and they go into the promised land. When they got into the promised land, God said, this day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. That word reproach, it literally means harsh words. It took a day for them to get delivered from the whips. But it took 40 years for them to get delivered from the words. It wasn't just that they whipped them. It was what they said while they were whipping them. You're grasshoppers. You'll never be nothing. You'll never be nobody. And it was tough for them to believe that they could ever be successful because they could always hear the echoes of their home always hear the echoes from their home uh, saying they're nothing no matter how much a Nazarene has success uh, they still feel like they're a failure uh, they feel like any moment now God's gonna pull the rug out from under me uh, uh, Nazarenes are more comfortable uh, in failure uh, than they are in success uh, they're more comfortable in trouble uh, than they are in triumph uh, even when they're so successful they get paranoid I'm preaching right now uh, you get paranoid that God is blessing you uh, where your mind will try to create problems my Lord uh, just so you can feel comfortable uh, and that's how you get the victim mentality uh, because you've been hurt so bad uh, you can't believe that a church would love you uh, you can't believe that a God would love you uh, and you're looking oh come on uh, you're looking at people's faces uh, and seeing uh, if they don't like you and you're looking for things uh, that aren't there because you're comfortable uh, being come on cast down but I've come to tell you get your eyes on Jesus and he'll show you that you're somebody no matter what anybody else said
said, Nazareth, where you battle, everyone's looking up to you. My Lord, they're looking up to you, but you feel like such a failure. No matter what you get in God, to be the most successful person in this world, you still feel like I'm nothing. Because he hears those Nazarene words on you. Am I preaching to anybody here? If I'm helping you, just wave a hand at me. If I'm helping you, just wave a hand. Yeah. And what Nazarenes struggle with, they struggle with getting a proper perception of themselves. Because they have a low self-esteem. They always need affirmation to keep going. Always need somebody to encourage them. Because of what a low perception they have. So Nazareth needs Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Nazareth and Bethlehem, they are both instrumental in the maturity of the body of Christ. Bethlehem, it was that ancient city. It was that place of heritage. It was that place of incredible royal traditions. It was that royal city. Nazareth needs Bethlehem. Nazareth represents the first generation apostolic Christian. And Bethlehem represents the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth generation apostolic Christian. And the Nazarene needs the Bethlehemite to get a royal, so they can have a royal perception of themselves. Where no matter what you came out of, not defined by that. No matter what your failures were, you're still royalty. No matter how tainted you feel, you're still royalty. No matter what they said about you, you're still royalty. No matter what family has tried to tear you down, you're still royalty. Come on, somebody. We need a Bethlehemite to look to a Nazarene and says, I don't care what you came out of. God still has a destiny for you. Nazarene needs the Bethlehemite. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth generation apostolic to say he's a royalty. Don't define yourself by your past. Define yourself by your future. You're somebody, no matter how unworthy you feel. There's some Nazarenes in here this morning that you feel so unworthy being in church. You're so unworthy. Looking at people around you. My Lord, help me. Feel, feel almost 
left out of place, no matter how much they try to make you feel like family, no matter how much they try to let you know that we love you and that you're a part of this. Sometimes uh, in your own mindset, you're tainted by Nazareth and never feel accepted. My Lord, help me. And when, oh my word, I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. And when, no matter how much they love you, no matter how much they love you, you still feel lonely. You still feel that because you're still dealing with the Nazarene mindset. And what happens is it begins to create problems in your mind where you say, you know what, I, I got to find somebody where else to go. I just don't fit in here. Come on. And they've gone above and beyond to make you feel welcome, make you feel like family. But it is your mind, no matter where you go, you still feel lonely. Used to problems. Used to being a victim. But the Bethlehemite allows us to get the proper perception of themselves. And Bethlehem, the Bethlehemites, Bethlehem needs Nazareth. Because when you've been in it a while, Start taking for granted this treasure that you have. Then you see a Nazarene come in. Fresh from the world. Broken. They're hungering for what you've been taking for granted. All of a sudden. We thank God this incredible treasure that he's given you. Nazareth needs Bethlehem so they can have a royal perception of themselves. But Bethlehem needs Nazareth because of that Nazarene hunger. What would happen if a first generation apostolic Christian got a sixth generation perspective of themselves? And a sixth-generation apostolic got a first-generation hunger. Can I tell you the Bethlehemite battles just as the Nazarene battles? It's a different battle, but it's, it's still a battle. Because... Bethlehem. Am I helping somebody? Because the Bethlehemite, many times they feel like a failure too. Because everyone that comes to them, they always compare what they're doing to the previous generation. No, your great-granddad was a prayer warrior. Your great-great-grandmama, she can sing, she sang with that anointing. Here, here you are, you're five years old. They're talking about when you're going to preach. Where, 
where it's tough for you to even live your childhood. Because everybody is telling you what you need to be doing. When are you going to start preaching? When are you going to start praying four hours a day? Six-year-old just licking a lollipop like, what? <laughs> Talk about it. I'm just trying, to, just trying to live my life. Hallelujah. <laughs> but that's why the Bethlehemite, it needs the Nazarene because the Nazareth, Nazarene teaches the Bethlehemite how to get delivered from people's expectations. the Bethlehemite walks a fine line and they're like, you got to do this, you got to do this, you, know, you got to be like that, you got to be like mom, you got to be like your great grandma, you got you know what they did, you know what they did, hey, you know what, the Bethlehemite could be operating in their anointing and God's blessing people and people saying, man, we're blessed by your ministry, but no matter how much they accomplish, they feel like a failure when they consider what the previous generation has done. That's what happened with Elijah. Elijah, he calls down fire from heaven, and then he flees from Jezebel. And look what he prays. He says, when he's away from Jezebel, he prays this prayer. He says, Lord, kill me. And we like to say that he prayed that prayer because Jezebel was after him. That's not true. He prayed that prayer because he said this. He said, Lord, kill me, for I am not better than my father's. The weight of heritage. And when you have an incredible heritage, sometimes you feel like you got to get out from under it. Entertain the world. Oh, my Lord, help me. Entertain the world to get your quote-unquote own testimony. The greatest testimony is what God kept you from. You don't have to go out in the world to get a testimony. You can stay right in the church and testify over what God has kept you from. Nazareth rejoices over what God delivered them from. The Bethlehemite rejoices over what God kept them from. Huh? And we need both in the body. Both are equally important for a thriving church. Hey, so Nazarene, don't look down on the Bethlehemite and say, and say well, you don't understand my story. You don't, you don't know what I've been through. And thank God they didn't experience what you've been through. Can I tell you, your pastor and bishop don't ever have to go through what you've gone through. Huh? But what you need is a godly example huh? on how to keep a marriage together. Huh? How to keep your kids in church. Come on, somebody. You better thank God for a Bethlehemite huh? that can show you how to walk huh? and have a godly relationship and a godly family.
Don't ever try to use that card. Well, 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 you've never been through what I've been through. Well, if we've been through what you've been through, we'd probably be messed up like you. Is that the truth? Man, it was amazing when God saved me. And, you know, it's when you get saved and you start yielding to the Holy Ghost that you realize how messed up you are. I was like, my word. I didn't know I dealt with all of this. God's showing me, yeah, yeah, you're still dealing with when your stepdad beat you. Still dealing with insecurities and came out of your childhood. I thought I was long past that. What, 15, 20 years ago? I'm thinking I'm long past it. But when you yield to the Holy Ghost, God's like, no, no, no. Let me show you something. Let me show you where you get your affirmation. Get your affirmation from me. You get your affirmation from my presence, from your my spirit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because when you feel that neglect, you live on that affirmation. And watch this. You get bitter at people if they don't give it to you. Like, oh, I feel so unappreciated here. Appreciated. Nobody appreciates me. I'm breaking up with you. Don't even appreciate what I do. You know how much I do for you. I'm talking about. God's like, no, no, the problem they're not the problem. The problem is it's where you're getting your affirmation from. You get it from my spirit. You won't get offended. You love them. You understand where they're coming from. Nazareth needs Bethlehem, and Bethlehem needs Nazareth. And when those two link up together under one sanctuary, giving praises to God, something begins to change in the atmosphere. God begins to receive that praise as a sweet-smelling savor. Every demon has to flee. My Lord, help me. We need each other for the body to thrive. Pastor Myers, can you stand up for me? I want you to grab your dad's hand. My Lord. When a Bethlehemite links up with a Nazarene. And we join together and labor together in the kingdom of God. And he rejoices over what God kept us from. And he continues the lineage that he got into his kids. And I start a lineage in my son. And we gather together under one roof. 
to do the work of God together. There is an anointing that comes down out of heaven that destroys every yoke, every fetter, and every chain when you lift up your voice together because we need each other. Come on, stand on your feet and clap those hands unto the Lord. I want you to grab the person's hand next to you right now. They may be a Nazarene or a Bethlehemite, but I want you to grab their hand and I want you to lift it up to the sky. And I want you to lift up your voice together. And there's going to be something supernatural. It takes over your body. It changes your world. That's it. Lift up your voice. That's it, Nazarene, lift up your voice over what God's delivered you from. That's it, Bethlehemite. Lift up your voice uh, over what God kept you from. Uh, come on, that's it. Pray for a Nazarene hunger. Uh, that's it. Pray for a Bethlehemite view of yourself. Uh, and lift up your voice. That's it, that's it, that's it. That's it, that's it, that's it. I want everybody to come to the front. Everybody move to the front as close as you can. And I want you to lift up your hands to the Lord. There is an anointing. That's it, everyone, come to the front. Come to the front. We're going to have a time of prayer. And there is something that is coming down from heaven. That's it. Come to the front and lift up those hands. That's it, Bethlehemite. You need what I'm talking about right now. You need to ask God to give you a fresh hunger. You used to always come to the altar. Don't take this for granted. That's it, Nazarene. Don't feel like you're unworthy. We need you to come to the altar and get a fresh touch from the Holy Ghost. That God can change your world. That's it. Come to the front and lift up those hands. Come to the front and lift up those hands and lift up your voice. That's it, that's it, let those tongues go. That's the Holy Ghost on you. There is something coming down from heaven. There is something moving all over you. Ika la 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 bo sando la 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 bo koshaya. 
That's it, I feel transformation happening. I feel transformation happening. That's it. That's it, lay your hands on the person next to you. I want you to pray over them and speak some words of affirmation. Speak some words of encouragement. Let them know that we need them. Let we know, let them know that we need them in the kingdom. You are valuable. Come on. That's it. Lift up your voice and pray.